Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Ron, it's that time of the year we, we always wait for, you know? I mean, the heart of spring here. We got the Masters right around the corner. Just beautiful weather um, That's right. here in Augusta. So if you're listening and you're not in Augusta, sorry, you're missing out. This is a beautiful time of the year. That's right. You know, the flowers are blooming. It's beautiful, and it's Masters time. It's exciting. It really is. Um, yeah, but but before we get into the Masters, how about the uh, NCAA championship? That was the basketball. That was pretty... It, it was. It would. I don't know if you watched the game, but yeah, I mean, Baylor just got out to a lead, and it was over. Yeah, I mean, I I picked Gonzaga after that UCLA game uh, at the buzzer beater, but man, Baylor came to play. They punched him in the mouth, and it was over at the beginning. Yeah, they hit like five three pointers in a row in the first, you know, couple minutes, and this game was yeah. that game was over. So enough said about that. Moving on to uh, the Masters. So who do you have for the Masters this week? You know. Jordan Spieth, I'm hoping he wins, but just coming off that win, he's been in a drought. Um, he's looking really good, but obviously it's pretty rare to, to win two in a row, so I really don't know who's going to win. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see somebody like DeChambeau do really well. Yeah. Um, he's so exciting. You know, it'd be great to see him go over the trees on 13 and, yeah. you know, some of those lines that he picks. So I really hope he's here around for the weekend and he's in contention because that will be fun. But I'm kind of like with you. I mean, the way Jordan Spieth was putting – you know, and and since the greens are hard and fast this week, which I was seeing on the Golf Channel yesterday, I mean, I think he's got a big advantage because his short game is incredible. He hit like 44, I think, one putts, you know, and the wow. Valero Open to win that. I mean, he misses a bunch of greens, and they're going to miss a bunch of greens this week. So he's got to you got to rely on getting up and down on these very fast, very difficult greens. I think he's going to be good there. Yeah, it'd be good to see him win another one. Um, and obviously it stinks not to see Tiger there. Um, hopefully he's right. recovering well. <clears throat> right. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, it'll be exciting. Yeah, we're we're all on pins and needles here to see how this gets started off this week. Um, you know, and talking about exciting, I mean, we got a couple of great topics here. I mean, we're going to start off here talking about um, the six, the eight great financial gifts you can give kids. Yeah, we got a lot to cover. Just helping uh, parents and grandparents figure out ways to get kids pointed in the right direction uh, when it comes to their finances. Yeah, I mean, and there are some really creative ones there, too. So I think that's going to be a great topic. People with kids are going to stick around for that or even grandkids. And then we're going to follow that up with one about, you know, should you pay off your mortgage? I mean, this is a question we get a lot, Ryan, um, from clients that, you know, have a chunk of money. They want to and maybe cash that out and put it against their mortgage, be done with their mortgage once and for all. Um, but it's a hard decision because a lot of times there's tax consequences. There usually are. And then there's the questions of, you know, should you take this money that may be earning more than you're paying on your mortgage and pay it off? So we're going to dig into that some today. And that's going to be a great topic. I think that a lot of people have that type question on their mind at one point or the other. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years experience at uh, financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Ryan Borders. I'm also a certified financial planner, and I'm one of the advisors here at Richard Young Associates. Yeah, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Um, our, our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon, so you can check us out there on our website. 
You can link to us there. You can send us your questions. You can see all our old podcasts. We have them up for years and years, so they're they're there by topic. Um, so you can browse through. There's no shortage of information, you know, from the money doctors right there on our website. So do check us out and let us know if you have any questions there. But we're going to start off here, Ryan, with the financial fact of the week. And that is, um, you know, at a year ago, on the end of March 2020, a year ago, 66% of investors were either bearish or neutral um, on the direction of the stock market. In fact, 50% of those were, were bearish on the stock market. So mm. the stock market was going down from there um, over the next six months. And uh, 16% were kind of neutral on it. That means only 34% were bullish. Wow. So that was a year ago. The market went almost straight up from there for yep. the next six months. And then it you know, took a little, it had a few flat months, and then it took off in the last quarter. I think it just shows you how unpredictable it is. Absolutely. This is why we don't try to time markets, because we just don't know. And you can make a big mistake if you were to follow what people were feeling at that time of the year. Right. I mean, and that was, you know, markets had already started back up. They bottomed on the 23rd of March and they started back up here in the next week. They had made a little bit of recovery, yet people were still terribly bearish on the stock market. Of course, with the pandemic, you know, was raging and rightfully so. Lots of reasons to be bearish, but it just shows you markets are leading economic indicator. They change quickly. You can't time it. You have to diversify. You have to invest for the long haul. That's really the moral of this story here. But that's a great financial fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is um, eight great financial gifts to give to, give to your kids. Yes, yeah, Steve. You know, we're often asked about good ways to help get kids pointed in the right direction when it comes to their finances. And, you know, one way to look at that is how you give gifts to um, your loved ones, you know, either your grandparent or your parent. You know, one thing you can look at is instead of spending a lot of money on stuff that can break or quickly, you know, lose interest in the child, what the child lose interest in, um, here's some good ways to ha give gifts that have lasting value. Yeah, that's right. And this is a great article out of the U.S. News and World Report, by the way, Kimberly Langford recently. And uh, yeah, the first one here, Ryan, is Roth IRAs for working kids. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is a great choice, I think. You know, and I did this for my kids, I helped them you know, establish a Roth. And once they were working and they had some W-2 mm -hmm. income they were actually taxed on, um, you know, then you can you can contribute to a Roth out of that money. And, uh, of course, you know, they're wanting to save their money for something short term. So, you know, I incentivized them and said, hey, you know, if you put money in a Roth, I'll match that 50, you know, dollar for dollar. And you can get a start on this and you can watch it grow and invest it. And I think that's a great choice for parents to really motivate their kids. Um, so whether it's from a summer job or even babysitting or tutoring, you know, as long as it's taxable income, you can contribute up to $6,000 a year into a Roth. Um, you know, they can withdraw the earnings tax-free before age 59 and a half, so they can take out the contributions. Um, uh, um, excuse me, they can withdraw the earnings after 59 and a half tax-free, the contributions, though, can be withdrawn without penalty anytime. Um, so they can always take out that for, you know, their emergency fund or a backup, you know, if they need money for the for some future uh, reason, you know, they can take out the contributions. So it's a great place to put money for a minor, um, you know, or for a kid. Even if they're a minor, you can open a minor Roth IRA um, procedure is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward for that. Anybody can be named as a custodian, so the parent can be in control of the account, 
even if they aren't the donors. So, yeah, I think a Roth IRA is a great choice for working kids. Absolutely. And it just it's always good to teach the kids to at least put a certain percentage of their earnings into retirement, into savings, starting with that habit early. Um, and obviously compounding interest, what that can grow to later on in life is just such a blessing uh, to your kids. And that leads us to the next topic uh, is the contribute, you know, you contribute to a 529 college savings plan. You know, college costs are very expensive. So one way you can uh, give a great gift to your uh, to your loved one is through a 529 plan. Um, you know, these are great because they can, the money grows tax deferred uh, through the years and can be used uh, tax free for college tuition, fees, room and board. Uh, computers and other expenses. The other thing is you can even use up to 10000 per year for elementary or secondary school tuition. So if you're going to private school, you can use that. Um, it's easy for family and friends to contribute. Um, so you can either give money to that account or you can set up a second account. There's no limit on how many accounts um, one child can have uh, for a 529. And you can also get that state income tax break. You know, Georgia and South Carolina both provide that tax break um, for contributing to 529s. Yeah, 529 college savings plan, or for any education for that matter, is a, a great choice for gifting money to kids or grandkids. Another one, Ryan, is to to just simply buy them some stock. Um, yeah, I mean, and I helped my kids do this as well when they were coming up, you know. But following, you know, a stock through the years is a great way for a, a kid to... Um, start learning about investing, you know, and in the past, I mean, it was a lot more expensive, complicated to buy shares for your kids. But now it's really pretty easy because, you know, you have brokerage accounts, you have Robinhood, you have even Schwab, you know, has custodial accounts um, that have zero, you know, minimum minimum for investing. Um, there's the, the no cost equity trade commission. So you can buy stocks, ETFs, totally, you know, free. Um, and of course you have mutual funds that are available as well in those accounts. So, you know, that's a great way to get somebody started and get them interested in investing so they can see something growing. They can see the value compounding as it makes a return. Um, and if they already have a custodial account, then, you know, a relative or a friend can gift money, you know, to them and have them use that account to buy a stock. You know, maybe, maybe you choose the stock and you say, Hey, I want you to take this hundred dollars and go buy, you know, a share or two of, of a certain stock. Um, and you can, you can ask the older kids to do some research, you know, into the investments and have them, you know, kind of make a case for a particular company, which is a great way for a child to start learning about investing and be able to spend some time with you. But, but yeah, I think, you know, getting them involved in investing and buying stocks is a great way for them to get their toe in the water for investing and get excited about it. Absolutely. A great educational tool to see how markets work early on. The next is, you know, gifting within an ad- a donor advised funds. So, you know, which, you know, donor advised funds, which are offered by many brokerage firms, banks, community foundations, make it easy to get the whole family involved with charitable giving. So with these funds, you can contribute money at any time and you can take a tax deduction if you're itemizing um, when you uh, donate to the ch- donor advised fund. And then you have um, an unlimited amount of time to choose charities to support. Usually, you know, have several investing pools to choose from uh, when money grows until you're ready to grant to those charities. And one thing you can do is actually give to your child a certain amount of funds to donate to a charity. 
So one thing Fidelity has, um, there's in their do donor advice funds, is they have a gifts for ch uh, gifts for giving program, and so you can actually send them a link showing that you contributed to your donor advice fund. Say, let's say a few hundred dollars, and then from there they can actually pick what charity um, that they want to give to with that money. And so that's a great way to get <clears throat> your kids thinking about you know gifting money, giving to charities, uh, being more philanthropic early on. Um, so that's a great way, uh, just a great gift um, for your child. Yeah, that's a great idea. I've never heard that idea before. So <clears throat> getting your kids involved in a donor-advised fund is super way to give them money and, and, like you said, get them thinking about charities. Another one here that I haven't thought of is, is called an ABLE account. <clears throat> and this is for children with special needs. Um, but, yeah, you can give money to children with special needs, and it can be a little bit tricky because, you know, having assets above a certain level can jeopardize their eligibility for government benefits like, you know, supplemental income, uh, <clears throat> Social Security income, basically. Um, but, you know, money in an ABLE account, A-B-L-E account, uh, generally doesn't count toward those limits. So ABLE account money can be withdrawn tax-free at any time um, for a wide variety of expenses for the benefit of a person with a disability. And to be eligible for an ABLE <clears throat> account, the person uh, can be any age now, but they must have, a developed, uh, must have developed a qualifying disability before age 26. Uh, most states offer ABLE plans, uh, but you, you generally can open an account in any state um, only a few states limit theirs to their own residents, okay? So, so usually you can open it in any state. Um, but there is an ABLE National Resource Center for more information about each state's plan. But each person can only have one ABLE account, so friends, relatives, they should check with the parent to see if they already have an account set up for their child. Contributions to the accounts are limited to, sounds like, $15,000 per year per beneficiary. Um, so it's important to find out whether the relatives have already made contributions during the year to those type of accounts. But that's a big limit. So there's a lot of money you can put in there. Um, so, you know, just keep it on mind. And, and there are also limits for contributions from the person's own earnings. So if they have a job and they work, they can also contribute money from their own earnings to the account. But that's a great way to help somebody with special needs. So I like yeah, that. Absolutely. And you just want to coordinate with your family since there is that $15,000 limit, like you said, but it's a great account. The next is, you know, give a few hours with a financial planner. You know, this can be really valuable to, you know, young adults in your family, someone graduating high school, going to college, or even just starting their first job. You know, this is something we'd be happy to do. We can always sit down uh, with your child or, or grandchild, and we'd love to just help them get pointed in the right direction with their financial plan in those early years. And this can really help give some guidance because a lot of times I just remember when I first started working, you, you really getting used to making money, you're getting used to benefits. It's good to talk with someone that can help guide you what to do, how to save. Um, so that's a great idea. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And then also another idea is for younger kids is Give a wallet. Now, that sounds kind of funny, but if you think about it, um, giving your child a wallet can really help them take ownership of their money. They actually have it. They organize it. It's something that, you know, instead of it's not just money coming from mom and dad, but it's my money. And then as they get older, eventually they can open like a bank account, and that's where they have their um, ATM card. That's where they keep their gift cards. It just teaches your kids early on how to be organized um, and take ownership of their money. So that's a great gift idea as well. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> Give them a wallet, especially for a young young kid. That's um, a great 
thing to make them feel like they're, you know, growing up and they can take some responsibility. And the last one here, Ryan, is to give an experience, you know, um, and I like this. I mean, some people type, like to give gifts of experience, such as a family vacation destination, you know, a cruise, Disney vacation, um, even somewhere exotic to enjoy together. Um, you know, it provides kind of a multi-generational gift where everybody can enjoy and spend some time together. And, you know, maybe just, you know, <clears throat> grandpa and, you know, the grandson go somewhere together, you know, just themselves. Um you know, that's a great, I think that'd be a great experience. So while the family may not be able to enjoy a trip like this with COVID going on, I mean, it's a great time to start saving money for that experience. Um, it can be something you look forward to in the future. You can tell, you know, your child, your grandchild that you're setting aside a certain amount of money every month for that future trip, <clears throat> you know, in a special account. You can kind of show them, you know, how it grows over time as they add money to it. Um and it can be a good way to kind of start teaching them about savings as well. So I really like that idea, you know, giving them an experience, maybe something educational, you know, maybe take them to Grand Canyon or something, you know. Yeah, and I just remember my parents always saying, hey, you know, stuff breaks, you get rid of those things, you forget about them. But, you know, experiences, you know, those memories last a lifetime. And so those mean a lot to kids. And so that's that's a great gift. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of creating warm memories <laughs> So through experiences. So I love that. All right, and that uh, leads us up here to our question of the week. Um, and that is, you know, it's a person here that's retiring. They have uh, so started so they've started Social Security. They have an IRA and they have brokerage money. The question is, where should they pull income from? Um, so that's a good question, you know. I mean, because we see that a lot. We see people that you know retire. They have. IRA money, usually that's kind of a big chunk of money. It might also have some brokerage money that's after-tax money. And so, you know, you have this question of where do you start pulling from first um, before you're 72 when you have to start pulling from your IRAs. And it really depends, Ryan, on your overall situation. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you got to the, the really what you want to do is limit your taxes in retirement, right, over your entire retirement. Um, so, you know, if your IRA is really small, um, then, you know, it's not a problem. I mean, you might, you might start going ahead and pulling from your IRA, um, cause you know, you're not going to be in a bad tax situation later, but if your IRA is really large and you think once you hit 72, you're going to be in a different tax situation, a higher bracket, um, then you might want to start pulling from it now. In fact, you might also want to start doing some Roth conversions, you know, before you hit that point to kind of balance it out. I mean, the idea is to keep you in a low tax bracket throughout your entire retirement. Um, but you also have to look at, you know, what does it do to your Medicare premiums? What does it do to your tax on your Social Security? Um, if you're low income, then your your Social Security is it may not all be be thrown into, well, only 85%, less than 85% of it may be thrown into the tax calculation. So it really depends on your whole your whole kind of retirement picture. Um, so that's where I'd say, you know, sit down with an advisor, somebody like us that can look at it and really look at your whole situation, maybe your, your CPA as well, and uh, get a picture of kind of where you're going to be now versus where you're going to be future and determine kind of a plan for all of retirement of where you're going to pull your income from because that's a really important question and a, and a great question of the week. Yeah, like you said, the big part of it is the planning piece and going into retirement. There's so much more to that. And just making sure you're having annual reviews to make sure you're on track with that. Um, that's a great, great question of the week. 
Absolutely. And that leads up here to our next topic and final topic, and that is, should you pay off your mortgage? Um, <clears throat> yeah, this is based on an article out of Bottom Line, Inc., um, Alan Roth, very recently. And, Ron, I mean, yeah, this is a question we get asked a lot. Um, you know, should you pay it off? Um, would that be a smart use of your money? You know, because mortgage rates are, are so low these days, right? Um, home loans seem like a bargain. But when you dig in the details, it turns out that paying off a mortgage or paying down your mortgage, you know, if you can afford it to, to pay it off entirely, is often a, a very savvy move to make. Um, but it depends. You know, everybody's situation is a little different. You know, I mean, most homeowners, you know, they no longer get a deduction for the mortgage interest from their taxes um, because, you know, the standard deduction now is $24,800 for a married couple, right? So it's a big standard deduction. Most people don't get over that barrier with mortgage interest. Um, <clears throat> and because of, you know, the tax law changes that took effect in, back in 2018, 90% are expected to take that standard reduction. Um, so that eliminates one of the big reasons to keep your mortgage. But also, though, um, mortgage rates <clears throat> are, are, though, enticingly low. And, you know, many homeowners are paying 3 to 4% um, or even less, you know, now with, with mortgages. But, but the yields on fixed income investments are even lower, making those even less attractive as an investment. So, you know, that kind of raises the question of do you take some of that money and pay off your mortgage? Yeah, and here's a great example. So, you know, many bond funds and CDs are only paying about 1% recently. So, you know, if you have a mortgage and also have a very conservative, you know, have very conservative investments with a lot of bonds in your portfolio, you're essentially borrowing money at a rate that's probably between 3% and 4%. In order to earn about 1% from the bond component of your portfolio, it's kind of a bad strategy. So you're likely would, you know, come out ahead if you at least took some of that portion of that money and in that you have in bonds and CDs or money markets and used it to pay off all or part of your mortgage. Right. <clears throat> exactly. So, you know, and of course, a big portion of your investments may be in stocks. Um, <clears throat> so if you're thinking selling the bonds in your portfolio would leave you with a portfolio that's dangerously weighted to stocks and not enough in bonds, you know, that, that may be a very valid concern. Um, but in reality, you know, it, it might have much less effect on the portfolio balance than you might imagine. Um, so we'll talk about that a little more later. But, you know, financial planners, they, they kind of rarely recommend um, cashing out your portfolio to pay off the mortgage because there are often some big tax consequences and it can strip somebody of their liquidity, you know, where they don't have money if an emergency comes up. Um, but there are also some counter arguments to this. I mean, when people argue against paying off the mortgage, they tend to raise the, some of the following points. And sometimes those points don't hold water. Um, <clears throat> so one point that we, you know, that you often hear is the investment portfolio is earning more than a mortgage rate. So they'll come out behind if they pay off the mortgage. And that's certainly true if you're willing to take some risk with your investments and you're invested in an account that has at least half in equities, you know, it should certainly beat a mortgage rate over time in today's world. However, we often see people with a lot of money in very conservative investments, which are not beating a mortgage. I mean, you know, for instance, we see people with a lot of money in annuity accounts, which historically have not beaten the 3 or 4% return over long periods of time since they tend to be very expensive and they tend to be tilted toward fixed income type sub accounts. Yeah, we also see a lot of people in large amounts with cash, CDs, which today, you know, you know, will not beat the rate they're paying on a mortgage. 
Um, you know, in contrast, paying off a mortgage that has a 3% or 4% interest rate is like investing in a risk-free money market fund. Paying an after-tax return of about 3% or 4%, you know, that's a much better return than you'd actually get from a no-risk investment. Money market funds are generally paying about 0.75 or less these days. So if you're carrying a mortgage while a large portion of your portfolio is in bonds, CDs, or fixed income investments, you should compare the after-tax returns on the investment to the potential upside of paying off the mortgage. Yeah, it's kind of an obvious, <clears throat> you know, decision, I think, if you're going to sit a whole bunch of money in a in a fixed account that's only paying 1%, <clears throat> you know, why not apply that to your mortgage if you don't need that money, if it's not a liquidity issue? Um, because, you know, he points out here, I mean, your mortgage is effectively a negative bond in your portfolio. You know, it's akin to a, a bond that you've issued where you're paying the interest rather than receiving it. So the outstanding balance of the mortgage should technically be subtracted from the value of your fixed income investments when you're kind of calculating your overall fixed income exposure. However, most people, they need some fixed income in their portfolio to be comfortable with the ups and downs. So, I mean, periodically, you need to kind of take a look at your overall allocations between fixed income and equity stocks and consider, you know, what you should end up with without your mortgage taken into the picture. Um, that's an important, important consideration. Of course, I mean, you could sell off part of your stock portfolio instead um, of, you know, of that in addition to your bond portfolio to raise the money to pay off your mortgage. You know, if that results in a better mix between your fixed income and equities, um, that's an option. I mean, that mix will depend part on your risk tolerance, your age. So keep in mind that, you know, you can think of your mortgage as potentially kind of borrowing money to invest in the stock market, pledging your home as collateral. That's a strategy most people wouldn't wouldn't kind of do if they think of it that way. A lot of people wouldn't because, it you know, it sounds very risky. Um, so it's something to consider, but again, I mean, you want to, you don't want to strip yourself of all your liquidity to pay off your mortgage. So as long as you're on track to pay off your mortgage before retirement, then, you know, you're probably on a good track and you may not need to take any drastic actions to pay it off. That's right. The next thing we hear a lot of times is, you know, people say, Hey, if inflation and rates shoot up, you know, I'll be happy that I have a low rate mortgage. In reality, you know, if inflation rises, You'll be spending more on everything else. So, you know, your your cash flow could become strapped, especially if you're carrying a significant mortgage payment. Um, you know, also, if you have money in bonds and those bond investments, you know, they could decline in value if inflation shoots up, offsetting any upside of having uh, that mortgage. But on the other hand, you know, fixed investments will start yielding more um, if rates do rise. So at some point, fixed investments could do better uh, than the mortgage rate if, that you have today. So the bottom line is that if you're selling off bonds to pay off your mortgage, um, we'll probably it probably won't leave you any worse off if inflation rises. Right. <clears throat> yeah, that argument doesn't really hold a lot of water. So, yeah. but you know, so how do you decide? I mean, here are yeah. some of the questions worth considering when you're deciding whether or not to pay off your mortgage. Um, one is, can you do so without sacrificing liquidity? You know, I mean, if you have the necessary liquidity. I mean, if you have money in CDs, low-risk bond funds, and if those help you sleep at night, then you might reasonably keep that cushy emergency fund and not pay off your mortgage. But consider what you, you know, but consider what you really need to do in the case of emergency. Um, and it may not be, you may not necessarily be, need cash. You just need access to cash. And that access could alternatively be provided by tapping into your home equity line of credit. 
Um, if you have one that you're previously established or about selling stocks, um, you know, neither of those strategies is perfect, but, you know, a lender, you know, could 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 open a HELOC, you know, a home equity line of credit for you to give you that cushion um, to help you through that. Um, and paying off your mortgage, I mean, doesn't mean that you have to have bond investments or an emergency fund forever, you know, um, set up automatic. You can set up automatic monthly transfers from your bank account to an investment account <clears throat> that you previously paid your mortgage in, and you can quickly rebuild that cash cushion. So, you know, there are some ways around stripping yourself of liquidity. Yeah, the other one I've been asked before is, you know, can you pay down your mortgage by tapping into your retirement accounts? And, you know, you can, but you're likely going to pay big time. You know, there's big taxes and penalty, especially if you're pulling it out of those accounts before age 59 and a half. Um, so it's likely not going to be worth, you know, doing so, and it could easily push you into a higher tax bracket. You're going to pay the penalty. So it's typically not a good idea. Right. And another question to ask yourself is, do you have other debts? You know, I mean, if you have credit card debts, other debts with higher interest rates than your mortgage on an after-tax basis, then, you know, you certainly should consider paying those off first. And so, uh, you know, another thing is, do you, does your mortgage have a prepayment penalty? These are kind of rare today, but they, they do exist. So you got to kind of ask your lender. You got to kind of know what your prepayment options are on your mortgage. But the real bottom line is, Ryan, I mean, you, you, you don't want to... Um, you want to have your mortgage paid off before retirement. That's yep. really the key. So as long as you're at a minimum, you know, you're on track for that, then, you know, you, you don't need to take drastic actions. So if you have maybe 10 years until retirement, you know, try to amortize your mortgage over the remaining 10 years so that you know you have it fully paid off before retirement. Um, however, if you have a lot of investments in low returning fixed income investments, then now might be a great time to apply those to your mortgage be done with that once and for all. Absolutely. So, Great topic. Yeah, certainly a very important thing to consider. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so the prescription of the week this week is, you know, April is Financial Literacy Month. Did you know that, Steve? No, I didn't actually, not yeah. not till I saw it on the sheet here. So, hey, we're <laughs> going to say, hey, take action, you know, improve on your knowledge when it comes to your finances. One is listen to a podcast. Well, hey, check you're doing that right now if you're listening to us. Share our podcast with others. And another great thing you can do is sign up for a Ramsey Financial Peace University course. Really help get a broad range of topics like insurance, investing, paying off debt. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, that's a good one. I really like taking an FPU class, a Financial Peace University class that really gives you a good overall picture of your financial situation and, uh, you know, and create that budget. So, uh, yeah, take advantage of financial literacy um, month, did you say it's week or month? Month. Month, yeah, yeah the whole month of, of April here. And, um, yeah, make sure you get yourself up to speed with your finances. All right, well, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to more prescriptions for your financial help. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to us there, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 